of the WRSU Crew Wednesday edition. Eddie Kalegi, Gideon Fox, Jack Basaya, and Dylan Allen. Well, Jack is wearing something special today for a special occasion. He's got the LeBron James high school uniform on because the kid from Akron has surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the new scoring leader all-time in the NBA. Scored 38 last night, had a big bucket uh, late in the third quarter, a fadeaway over Kynrick Williams to set the record, and now LeBron James stands alone as the greatest scorer in NBA history, and this continues to launch the debate if he was the greatest player of all time, and a lot of people have voiced it, but uh, this is definitely one more addition to the resume for the King now, surpassing Kareem and still averaging 33 points a game in his 20th season at 38 years old, which is something that I don't really think anybody has come anywhere close to before. So uh, it's just really impressive. And Jack, I know you are the Le- the big LeBron fan here. So uh, maybe you could talk about the reaction for you. And uh, I assume this continues to solidify what you already felt that he is the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah, it was it was a special it was a special game to watch for sure. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of Lakers basketball this year, and I'm happy I haven't because they are not a good basketball team. But LeBron is phenomenal, and what I saw last night is just like it just confirms to me like how just the greatness of him and everything that I've seen over you know his entire career and me watching him ever since like I was eight years old and he was on the Cavs for the first time. Like it, he's he defies logic. <laughs> he really does. Like think about like his career from like 2003 when. You know, I was two years old. You two, Gideon Da, were both very young. Eddie, I don't even know if you're born. In, were you born in 2003? Yes. Okay, so like barely born. This guy has been dominating the NBA ever since we've been infants, and he's been doing it. He's never cheated the system. He's always, you know, been prepared. He's never cheated the game. He's never cheated us as fans. He's never, and I think this is the most impressive thing. Through 20 years in the spotlight maybe even more with him being in high school and like being a prodigy that he was in high school. He's never had a, you know, public incident, public slip up. Like we've seen so much from other, other, other players or other people who have been in the spotlight like that. I think it's truly remarkable what he's been able to do off the court. And I I admire him for it. I really do. And, you know, looking on the court and looking at this game in particular, I just thought it was authentic. That's the number one. If you ask me one word about last night, it was authentic. I mean, there's a lot of talk about him doing the sky hook to possibly break to record or, you know, this or that or another thing at the free throw line. He did it on a move that, you know, we've seen a million times from LeBron. He has that fadeaway down. He's made a name for himself on, you know, backing down backing down his opponent and turning around for a fadeaway jump shot, and he did it right there. I thought it was pretty emblematic of LeBron to do that. You know, I think the only thing that would have made it even more special is if it was a breakaway dunk like we've seen a million times. But I, I think, you know, he didn't miss any shots. He didn't, he didn't miss any shots to break the record. It was as clean as possible, you know, clean swish. And, you know, I'm just happy. I'm happy he got it because he deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. Um you know, I'm not here to I'm not here to, you know, talk about Michael Jordan's not the goat or Michael Jordan's terrible. I'm here to defend LeBron when people come at me with ridiculous opinions that I think are that I think are false. Uh and it's just it's 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 good it's good to see. I think LeBron is I think LeBron's my favorite LeBron's the best player I've ever seen with my own two eyes. I wasn't I wasn't alive to see Michael Jordan. Um he's the best player I've ever seen 
He's the best passer I've ever seen. I will go to the bank with that. I, he's the best passer I've ever seen. Um, and, yeah, just uh, last night was a special night. I wish I wish they could have won, but, you know, it is. What Every it is. time LeBron sets some sort of monumental mark, the team he's playing for always ends up losing, and it's really been with the Lakers over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, and they sure. still have time. The trade deadline is in less than 24 hours, and they've been rumored to – Try to get D'Angelo Russell, so be curious to see how that That's all news to me. works out. Yes, they have been uh, in talks, according to Woj, on a potential three-team deal that would send Russell Westbrook to Utah, Mike Conley to Minnesota, and D'Angelo Russell back to the Lakers. <laughs> so That will be something. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, my thoughts on witnessing it, I've always been Team Jordan, and a leg ahead and put LeBron at two, but... James accomplishing this and indeed holding the scoring mark inches him closer, in my opinion. And I also think, I mean, we knew he was going to set the record. But the fact that he set it, everybody was saying at the beginning of the year, maybe he'll get it in April. He's going to miss some games. He did miss some games. He's missed five-plus twice this year. And he still sets the record before the All-Star break because he's been playing an incredible clip and doing stuff in his 20th year. And at age 38, that really you can't think of many athletes that have been able to do this so far into their careers with the exception of maybe Tom Brady so like the fact that LeBron is still this dominant Michael Jordan was not doing that when he was 38 years old so that's where I give LeBron props the other thing is you know now he's the all-time scoring leader I don't think anybody when they see LeBron James they immediately think of him as a scorer because there's so many other things that he's able to do on the court. pass-first player. Yes, he is a pass-first player. Uh, he's not a lethal shooter, per se, but he's still able to rack up the points on a consistent basis, and he's still able to do it here in year 20. The reason I still give a very slight edge to Michael Jordan is because if – just to me, the accomplishment of six consecutive full seasons that he played, he won a championship, but it is much closer. And I think if LeBron continues on this pace and, you know, next year, he's going to be approaching 40 years old. And if he's still playing the way he is, it might change my mind, but I, he definitely has gotten himself much closer in my mind. And obviously it's a reasonable debate. And I feel like anybody on either side of the arena on it whether your team Jordan team LeBron have some fair points but they are undisputed the two best players in NBA history and now LeBron has this mark and it is extremely impressive to see what he was able to do I also like that he went back to the headband look last night absolutely yeah I, I agree I, I don't I don't know why he doesn't wear the headband it makes him look younger um but <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm just saying I, I he looked like it looked like five years ago with the headband I, on but you know I, I, it's still an incredible accomplishment, but now that that's behind them, the Lakers are still trying to see if they can make the playoffs. They have a better shot than they did last year because they did better the team already with Achimura. I think they'll make another deal bet before tomorrow at three. And the West, nobody's really running away with it. There were a lot of vulnerable, flawed teams in the mix, and the Lakers are not too far back. So if they can get things going and the moves they make work, Maybe they can sneak into the postseason, and LeBron in a playoff game, you never know what can happen. So that's my thoughts on it. Uh, Dylan, how about you, uh, your reaction to LeBron breaking the scoring record and where the Lakers really go from here? Well, I mean, it's it's obvious. I'm not the hugest, I'm not the biggest, I should say, NBA fan. I, I don't really have a team. Um, and Gideon and I were at a bar in Indiana, and 
everyone in the bar was in tune with the game they had on every single TV. And again, I'm not huge into the NBA, but this is one of the moments where, you know, 20 years down the line, you ask someone, hey, where were you when LeBron, you know, hit this shot? And this is a moment where you'd remember, like, oh, I was at a bar in Indiana. Like, that. this is one of those moments. And even for me, guy who's not huge into the NBA, this is that was a cool moment to watch. I mean, the fact that this record was, what, close to 40 years old at this point, even Michael Jordan, as good as he was, couldn't reach that feat, and whether it was because he left for baseball, whatever the case is, you know, to see that it happened for a player that played throughout our childhood, essentially, and now into our younger 20s, uh, pretty nice feat to see. Um, and it was nice to see him do it in that game, too, because I saw they were selling... I those tickets for a ton of money. Um, I think I think the ultimate compliment to LeBron, like the ultimate compliment, is that he was 36 points away from the from the record in year 20, 38 years old, and it was like, yeah, he can get it tonight. Like he, yeah, he can absolutely like it's absolutely realistic he can get it tonight. Like yep. I think that's the absolute ultimate compliment to LeBron. Yeah, and, Giddy and I thought the whole time he could get it. Yeah, and like he made it. Honestly, like he made it look easy. He, he honestly made it look easy last night. This looked like vintage, and um, I, I guess he still is vintage LeBron. But this looked like Miami Heat LeBron James last night with the fadeaway shots. He was hitting left and right. Scored thirty eight points on twenty shots. Yeah, like, that's efficient as all. Heck. He needed thirty six to break it. He needed thirty. It was, was thirty eight to break it. Was it thirty? It was thirty. It? it was thirty six to break it, and he got he got that, and he got two more points in the fourth quarter. Okay, got here's, it. Okay. Here's my here's my question that I'll open the floor to all of you. I'm looking at this uh, this tweet right here. The differences between the crowd at Jordan's final shot over Byron or Russell at the 1998 finals and LeBron's shot over uh, Kendrick Williams, who's a part of history now. Kendrick Williams is a part <laughs> of history um, here in last night. And the difference is crazy because obviously 1998, you're not, you don't, there's no iPhones in 1998. Uh, and, you know, everyone's kind of just taking in the moment, no phones, just watching him. Fast forward to 2023, I can't find a single person in that photo outside Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, who is not on his phone uh, recording that event. Uh, I'll send I'll send the picture to both of you, um, people at home. I'm pretty sure you could pretty sure you can find it anywhere. But it's, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? And if you were in that moment, probably paying eighty thousand dollars for a seat to be right there watching it. Uh, would you would you be filming that moment or trying to take it? Out? Here's my feeling. There's I'd gonna film be, it. I I'd, I'd be tempted to film it. I mean, and I don't really know what I'd do because in some ways I think logically there's going to be a thousand different angles of it. But at the same time, you want to say that you were there. Here's the evidence. Right. Yep. Here's my view of it. But it's kind of funny because check the bank account. <laughs> if you look back. The last really iconic shot I can think of is the Raptors-Sixers game four years ago when Kawhi hit the game winner. And there's a good image of that, too. And it's weird because there's not nearly as many phones in that. Maybe it's because of the shock that it was a game winner and people didn't think that they were going to take the phone out. But I don't know. To me, it's an interesting question. I feel like I'd want to not have to film it, but I feel like just the way things are... You'd be tempted to, and you got the device in your pocket. Might as well pull it out like everybody else. I'd film it, and I'd try my best not to watch it through my phone screen. That's that's the one thing I would try to do. Like, I I, I filmed the Ron Harper Jr. half court shot from where my grandpa's seats are, kind of like right above where we sit, a little bit higher up. 
And uh, you can see in the video, like at one point, I forget to move my hand to the left because I'm watching. I'm not watching through the phone. I'm like, oh crap, the ball's over here. I gotta move it. So you know, yeah, it, I got the, like, the same exact video yeah. too. Like didn't forgot to move it. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's how I would go about it. Just so you have that video on your phone. Like, man, I was there. And you know, you could always go back to that video because it's your video. You know, it's not the TV angle that everyone got to see from wherever in the world, right? That was your view. You paid for it, like that was your moment, and you would relive, you would relive all your thoughts during that moment. Um, it really, it really is a telling comparison, though. Like yeah. that picture is insane. It, that take you're it outside about. of ba- take it outside of basketball. Just like the societal difference between 1998, which was 25 years ago, and now, like it, it's it's incredible. It, it's incredible just to see like everyone there. Like there's not a single person on, on a phone. No, like, they're all watching. They're all watching it. And then you fast forward now, everyone's got this little thing in their hands, like filming it. It's crazy. It, it's unbelievable how much how much things have changed. I also think because I mean, cameras. You could have still brought a camera, and there's a lot of flashes back then. I think part of it, there is a slightly different situation here because that shot by Michael Jordan. Many knew that that was going to be the end of the Bulls. Many thought that might be the end of his career. So I think a lot of people were just wanted to take in that moment that it was the right. possibly the last shot of Michael Jordan's career, and it was his last shot of his career as a bull. Uh, and that was in the finals. Too. That was also this was a regular season game against the Thunder on a Tuesday night. Yeah. But, so although it was going for the record, it's a little different too. Yeah, but still, uh, I, I think a lot everybody who's there, except for Phil Knight, shout out Phil Knight, but uh, <laughs> most people would be tempted to take out the phone. And there is another option you could do too. You could film it for a couple of seconds, then turn the camera to yourself and say, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, what happened? <laughs> Duh. You could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Kareem, Kareem, I... <laughs> Watching Kareem last night was the funniest side sideshow to an NBA game I've seen in a while. Whoever the cameraman was for TNT that kept zooming into him every time there was a He did shot not want to be there. Not yeah. not a bone in his body wanted to be there. And like this this tweet I saw like earlier today just like puts it perfectly. Like, you know, you're like he's like what, seventy five at this point? Yeah. Like dragging him out of his house, like to watch a guy he doesn't even really like, like I, there's been documented, like Kareem, like and LeBron are not the best of buds, and to go there and watch him surpass your absolute life's work, like you know, Kareem probably thought when he set that record and retired that, who the heck's touching that? Thirty-eight thousand points? Like no way! Like some guy's got to average like twenty points for twenty years for his entire career and like not miss a game. Oh wait, he did it. So. Yeah, you know, listen, it's it. He got paid a fat check to be there. So, imagine getting paid. To, he definitely uh, paid, got paid to be there. Imagine getting paid to be there when everyone else is like basically going bankrupt to be there. <laughs> yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't have a contract with the NBA to show up to these things. They they reach out to him and said, "Hey, here's a hundred thousand. Show up to the game." Right. Done. Right. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. It was. It was. I mean, all the pressure was on LeBron last night though to break this at this game because. He invited all of his family and friends. I mean, his wife, Savannah, Bronny, Bryce, Zuri, they were all there. Uh, his mom was there. All of his high school friends were there. You know, Tyron, Tyron Lou, his former coach, was there. Um, you know, Phil Knight, obviously, was there. We just right. talked about it. Kareem, or Kareem was there. Magic was there. Celebrities just were there, too. Celebrities like... were there. Jay-Z was there. Yeah. Like, it was – everybody was there to watch this game. And he put the pressure on himself to go out there and break the record at – 36 points. He needed 36 points. Like, you know, I know the NBA and scoring, it's like it's extremely easy to score 
compared to you know in years past. But thirty six points is still thirty six points. It's a lot to do points. at his age too. Do yeah, you think that had this been any other game, had this been any other matchup against OKC Thunder, does LeBron put up thirty six? Or was this? Just um, look, the second he gets it. He completely tails off in his score and only has one more it's, bucket. It's hard to tell because LeBron's natural instinct is to not shoot early on in games. It's to get other guys involved and get them going before he gets going. Um, and he kind of did that to an extent last night. I mean, not well enough. They still lost. Yeah, well. The, Which okay, is not even a story I'm, anymore. Like, I'm literally telling you, like I said at the beginning at of this LeBron segment, the Lakers are awful. Like They don't play any defense. Like, and they are all cones on defense. The yeah. Thunder, like, shot 70% from three last night, and it's the same thing as Miller Cop. It, they weren't contested. They were shooting wide-open shots. And when you give, let's, rest assured, you give Miller Cop a wide-open three, what if you give an NBA player a wide-open three? They're going to make it 80 to 90% of the time. Like, these guys are professionals at what they do. Like, I don't know what they were doing last night. Maybe they're caught up in the moment, but the yeah. record tells me that the record tells me that it's more of the same. So. It it also doesn't help that you missed eight free throws too. Looking at this, you lose by a couple points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but I will say, I know Lakers have had a lot of problems this year. But I back when I was in high school, I remember multiple times where players got to the a thousand point mark and it was a big deal, and they had the ceremony on the court and came out with the banner in the middle of the game. Both times after that, the team lost, and they were win- <laughs> they were winning when it happened, and they ended up losing the game. What happens with the Lakers? They're in the mix against OKC. They blow the game in the fourth quarter. So I feel like sometimes when you have that big stoppage, I mean, this game was stopped for ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, and then another stoppage because the quarter was over. Yeah. So it kind of takes you out of your groove, and they were talking about this on Undisputed this morning. Uh, Shannon Sharp, who was in the building, said you could tell that after LeBron got to 36, he was spent. That fourth quarter, he was very tired because he had been going so hard in the first three quarters, and he only attempted two shots in the fourth. He made one of them, and then the Lakers had to rely on the rest of their pieces, and unfortunately, the rest of their pieces aren't all that good because you've got Anthony Davis, and besides that, Russell Westbrook, who has had a de- found a new role off the bench, but still is very problematic and apparently had an argument with Darvin Ham in the locker room at halftime. So there was still there was still a sideshow going on with the Lakers on LeBron's big night. So there's there's still a lot of problems, but I feel like part of it, based on what I've seen before, is these big ceremonies. They end up working better in momentum for the team that's not celebrating than the team that is. So Jack, let me ask you this. You're a Lakers fan. And big night for LeBron, but he would tell you, like, hey, I broke the record, but we're trying to make the playoffs. And as a fan, that's the goal. you got to make the playoffs, got to win a championship, especially if you're LeBron trying to get to a fifth title. What do they need to do with the trade deadline? We already talked about the rumored trade between three different teams, I think Eddie said, right? So Yes. What do you feel? I mean, you said they don't play defense. So name me a guy that you look at for the, the Lakers to trade for that would kind of fill in that need for a defensive dude. I, if you know anyone, I'm only asking you because you're you're yeah. you know more about this yeah. NBA than me. Yeah, that, I don't really know who's a, available. That's a phenomenal question. It, I don't think the question is who would fit the Lakers; it's who the Lakers can get. Okay, because they've been so hesitant to trade those two first round picks um, in 2027 and 2029. I believe those two are. They've been so hesitant to trade them, and when you look down that roster, guys that could be valuable to change to switch over. I mean, Russell Westbrook. 
I think that trade set the like literally destroyed the any chance the Lakers had at ending at you know going back to the title. Um, Anthony Davis probably not a guy you trade. You know they got Rui Hachimura, but like you know that's that's a that's an okay that's an okay trade I guess. Like the thing the thing with the the thing with trades is that you know we saw with Kevin Durant this year like you have when you're when you're doing a trade you have to like make sure you don't self-implode your roster to get a play, like one player because although what the media likes to tell you that basketball is a one-player sport it isn't it's a five-player sport and you know a star player surrounded by a good team and good depth wins championships and I don't know if a trade is out there for the Lakers where they're able to get better and not sacrifice the little depth that they have like if they're able I know there were some names being floated around Kyrie obviously um, was one of them he ended up on the Mavericks if you got Kyrie, you know, what what are you giving up for him? That's kind of the example. That's kind of that's kind of the question that I'm asking. Like, you give away Russell Westbrook if you don't want to trade those first round picks. Who other what other guys are you giving up? Is it a Troy Brown? Is it a Patrick Beverly? Is it a Thomas Bryant? Who all are not very good, but it's you know the best you got basically. And if you get rid of all of those guys for a Kyrie Irving, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's a tough situation. I think. It's a tough situation. I don't really know if that guy's out there for the Lakers. They're kind of in a hopeless situation, and it all revol—it all revolves back to that Westbrook trade. Yeah, and Russell Westbrook is kind of an albatross because he's making so much money. He's making forty million dollars a year, and he's not even a starter right now. So, do we have, do we have to be reminded of that? Well, I just—I <laughs> I know. I just wanted to mention that because yeah, no. I, I, I have advocated for him to come off the bench. Though yes. I think I think this is the best role. Yes, he's done better, but like. The Lakers don't have many pieces they can trade the because they do not have a lot of available money. They're already exceeding the light cap, and, I mean, they, they, they're already taking tax exemptions and stuff. Like, there's not much they can do besides trading Russell Westbrook, but not that many teams want to take him. So this potential deal, the three-team trade where the Jazz would be willing to buy out Russ and they can bring back D'Angelo Russell, I kind of like that. Russell has not had as good of a year as he did last year, but... I think he could do well back with the Lakers. He played pretty well for them when he was a rookie his first couple of seasons. We know what he did the year with the Nets before they traded. They signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, and to me, Achimura helps to solve the post-defense in a way. Lakers need shooters. The year the Lakers won the championship was when they had Caldwell Pope and Danny Green. They had guys who could shoot the basketball, especially from three. They do not have that because Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, neither one of them are elite three-point shooters. Aside from like Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown Jr., they don't have many shooters. And in the NBA right now, especially in the Western Conference, you kind of need that. And D'Angelo Russell can provide that while also playing good defense and being a smart point guard. And I think he'd be an addition from Russell Westbrook, and you could definitely start him. So, to me, that would be a move that I think could help the Lakers. You're absolutely right, Eddie, in terms of shooting being at a premium in the NBA. And the recipe for the last 20 years of how to build a successful team around LeBron James has been surround him with shooters and let him drive and kick. It's been the recipe for almost all of his championships so far, most recently the 2020 championship. And the Lakers thought, okay, let's reinvent the wheel and get rid of all of our shooters that won a championship for us. In Catavius Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Danny Green, even though he didn't get traded in that uh, Russell Westbrook trade. But the point is, they lost, they gave away all of their 
championship depth in tw- in the 2021 offseason and went all in for this guy in Russell Westbrook. That's just been an absolute unmitigated, um, just, I'm trying to do my Stephen A. Smith, but disaster, absolute disaster. And <laughs> um, it's, yeah, and, you know, you find yourself, you were, you did have it, and now you don't. That's the most frustrating thing about it. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell, maybe he could be a good Maybe he can be good for the Lakers, but is D'Angelo Russell really the the needle between winning a championship and not? Probably not. No, it'd be it'd probably be a desperation move just to say they tried something at the deadline, and they'd be probably giving up Westbrook, which they want to get him out anyway. So at this point, it's it's just kind of a move to just get him out of the building. I was doing my rounds on sports media today, like listening to a lot of opinions on the LeBron record and all that. And one thing that stuck out to me, and I kind of tend to agree at this point, you know, LeBron's in year twenty. I don't think LeBron's the guy that you build your team around at this point of his career. And it's natural. He's 38 years old. Like, <laughs> 38 years old, DA. Like, yeah. he's, he's he's not young at all. I think he's more of a guy that, you know, you look at and say, okay, we can add him as not like a secondary piece, but as like, you know, the guy that like, okay, we need LeBron James. If we get LeBron James, we're over the hub for a championship. Think about like – the Bucks. Let's say. Let's say the Bucks got LeBron James. Like Giannis is obviously the top dog on that team. LeBron's that guy that puts him over the hump. Um, but at the same time, you know, until these teams maybe don't win a championship or see some failure in the playoffs, they're not going to be willing to do that, especially at this point of the season at the trading deadline. Um, point is, though, I don't think. I think LeBron, if he wants to win a championship at this point in his career, he's going to have to find a situation where the team's built well around him where he doesn't have to like you know be the absolute top dog star so that's yeah. my that's my point and on the topic of the trade deadline eddie let's shift over to the brooklyn nets your basketball team we already know they traded kyrie irving uh not too long ago for to dallas for um dorian finney smith uh what's D- his face dinwiddie's, dinwiddie's back, in back. Yes. Couple of, uh, was it one first round and one second or was it two firsts and a second or it was a first and two seconds first but and the two first seconds. isn't until 2029 okay so they've already made a splash in the trade deadline kind of Kyrie was forcing their hand. He said, listen, I'm not going to sign here, so just trade me or you don't get any value from me. Um, now, the big news is Kevin Durant meeting with team owners and, and front office. My guess is they're trying to give him the best pitch they can and just say, hey, listen, we're going to try and build this team. If you stick around, we're going to have some good pieces around you. Cam Thomas has shown you, what is it, three, four straight games with 40-plus. Um, so what are your thoughts? What should the Nets do in in the, during the trade deadline? Should they go out and get another piece to help with that sales pitch to Kevin Durant to keep him long-term? What would you do uh, if you were Nets front front office? All right, well, first off, I am wearing my Kevin Durant Bed-Stuy player t-shirt tonight. I didn't even tonight. see. Just in case. Oh, it's underneath the sweatshirt. Yes. There you go. Is that, like, is, that like some, is that like some like magic or something for uh, if you guys play after the meeting? Uh, we will see. I'm mainly just wearing it just in case it becomes irrelevant at 3 o'clock tomorrow. But <laughs> by, by the way, Eddie Kalegi, buy stock now. He's got, he's got that high-arcing jump shot, man. I'm I've heard it's under. Ready I'm for looking forward to it. It is Eddie. Hi. Look. Eddie's Eddie's been talking about training for the team for the Targum get Targum WRCU game. He's put his money where his mouth is. I've been working. I've been in the lab. I have been in the lab, and I'm looking forward to May. Uh, I I also feel like Cam Thomas has been in the lab, even though he has not been playing all that much because he's got three straight 40 plus point games. Here's the deal. He's the happiest person in the entire world from that Kyrie Irving trade. Yeah, he thinks things are funny now. So listen, I. 
I don't think Kevin Durant's going to be traded tomorrow because the only teams that seem to have any interest in him the last time and again this time are the Celtics and the Suns. And the Nets didn't like Phoenix's most recent package. And the Celtics essentially want to send Jalen Brown on a couple of picks. And I don't think the Nets are going to do that. Even though, ironically, Jalen Brown is who the Celtics drafted when the Nets made that horrendous trade for Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce uh, way back in 2013. So, listen, Durant's going to be there for the rest of the season. Beyond that, who knows? Kyrie Irving, I think they're better off that he is gone. I'm happy that he is no longer on the team um he was too much of a distraction there were too many off the court things going on and in the end in that deal you bring back Dinwiddie who's a very serviceable point guard in the playoffs last year besides Brunson when Luka was out Dinwiddie was Dallas's best player and he was really solid Dorian Finney-Smith is a good piece and also plays good defense. Jacques Vaughn is a solid defensive coach. Now, the picks are far away. As uh, our former sports director, Chris Sakonis, said in the group chat when the trade happened, the Nets essentially traded for a middle schooler with this 2029 <laughs> first-round pick. I can't disagree with that, but listen, just like I said last year with Harden, Nets boxed themselves into a bad situation. They tried to build a team with stars, which, honestly, aside from the Heat, and Kevin Durant joining the Warriors super team has never worked. You can't just link stars together. Like Jack said earlier, it's a five-player game. One star with a bunch of pieces can win championships, as we saw with the Warriors pre-KD with Steph and Giannis two years ago with the Bucks. Now, if you can get anything to make up for these moves, which they did with Harden, you do it again with Kyrie, I'm satisfied with that. Now, I'm hoping they can pitch to Kevin Durant to stay. Durant is playing at an elite level. Every season, unfortunately, he suffers some sort of knee injury shortly before the All-Star break, and he misses six weeks. That's it's, happened the last three it's seasons. It's like so unlucky, too. Yep, yep. All three times it's been because of people falling on his leg, and twice it was teammates. This time, at least, it was someone on the other team. But I f I'm optimistic that Durant – I know Durant never – has any remorse about joining the Warriors super team and a lot of people feel like that destroyed the power balance of the NBA for multiple years but I he has to realize that if he can do anything this is the first time the Nets have not had high expectations since D'Angelo Russell and that team the year before they brought in Kyrie and KD at this point, the Nets just traded away their second-best player. Their alleged third-best player is afraid to shoot the basketball and is putting up zeros more often than me in the WRSU Daily Targum <laughs> game back in May of 2022. So, right now, you have Cam Thomas, who is playing great. I don't understand why he didn't play beforehand. He should be in the regular rotation. You have Nick Claxton, who has been playing at a borderline all-star level. They need more size, but Claxton is a good start and is having the best season of his career. Seth Curry was a great addition from that trade. There are pieces there, and if you can pitch to Durant, you know, he's going to be healthy in a couple of weeks. They said yesterday his knee's making significant progress. He should be cleared to return to basketball activity soon. Let's say he comes back March 1st, and six weeks, Nets are going to dip a little bit in the standings, but let's say they're still 6-7 seed because they've built up a decent gap in the East. If they can make any sort of a run in this postseason, it not only makes the team look good it makes Kevin Durant look good as well because they're going to have no expectations because Kyrie Irving some might think has essentially blown up the franchise now and if they can go into the second round maybe sneak past a Philly or a Milwaukee and get to the conference finals 
that's going to be a major statement on Kevin Durant's legacy. And just doing that will probably mean much more in the eyes of a lot of people than, you know, winning a championship with a bunch of stars. So I have a confidence that they can pitch something to Durant. He's been on the bench the last couple of games. It's not like he's completely disappeared from the team because Kyrie is gone, which makes me optimistic. He was also They also posted a video with Durant congratulating LeBron, and that was not on KD's own Twitter. That was the Nets' social media account. So uh, the Nets are still promoting the team as if KD is a part of that team. So he should be there for the rest of the season. And in terms of the moves the Nets can make, one guy I really like is Nas Reed from the Timberwolves. He has bring him home. Yes, bring him home. He has kind of been held back by that team. He should have been a starting power forward. Then they made one of the worst trades in recent memory, giving up half their roster for Rudy Gobert. And Gobert, even though he has not played that well, he's a starter, so is Towns. There's no place for Nas Reed there. If he comes over to the Nets, the Nets only have two power forward slash center on their entire roster right now because they traded away Kessler Edwards. They have Dayron Sharp, who is the Antoine Wolfolk of that team because he picks <laughs> up several fouls in limited minutes. He's a good defender, but fouls like crazy. And you have Claxton, who is probably more of a stretch four than a true five, but he's had to play the five all year. If you bring in Nas Reed, there's suddenly more size on this team. You don't have to give up all that much. They have a surplus of small guards right now. And with the emergence of Camp Thomas, you can afford to shed Patty Mills. Or maybe if they could trade Joe Harris. I always like Joe Harris. He's the only piece remaining from the team pre-Kyrie and KD. But uh, he has been awful this year. And he's lost his three-point shot. So uh, if you could trade one of them I for Nas Reed... I like that roster for Brooklyn, and I think this team could still contend when Durant comes back, and anything that they're able to accomplish in the playoffs makes KD's legacy look pretty solid. So how many moves are the Nets away from winning a championship? Is it just waiting for KD? Is it... Is it what, what do the Nets have to do to win a championship in the next three years? How many moves does it take? Well, what's holding them back is they're stuck with Ben Simmons. They need to do something to get Ben Simmons off the team and get something back. Problem is, I talked about how Russell Westbrook is an albatross. Ben Simmons goes beyond that. Ben Simmons is making more than $20 million a year to not shoot the ball and is not even a starting caliber player in the NBA anymore. So I don't really know what they can do there, and they are kind of boxed in, and there's really not much they can do there. They are multiple moves away from contending for a championship, but to me, they're only one move away from winning a playoff series. If Durant plays and Durant's healthy, they can do that. You just look at the roster that they had just two seasons ago, and that roster was very flawed. And if Kevin Durant's shoe size was one smaller, they would have had a very good chance of winning that championship. So... I know Harden's gone and Kyrie's gone, but they have good pieces. And Cam Thomas is emerging. I don't want to get too carried away because of three games. But if you've been watching the Nets the last two years, when Cam Thomas plays and gets significant playing time, he succeeds and he thrives. Now, something I saw on Twitter that I kind of liked is Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas both coming off the bench for the Nets. So let's say, let's say worst comes to worst and they don't make a trade. And Kevin Durant's going to be back in a few weeks. Go with a lineup. You you stick. You keep Seth Curry in the starting lineup. Joe Harris. Uh, um, actually, no. Move Seth Curry out. You go Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Kevin Durant, and Claxton. 
Dorian Dorian Finney-Smith, Seth Curry, Dayron Sharp off the bench, as are Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas. Simmons and Thomas both have flaws. Ben Simmons can't score. Cam Thomas sometimes shoots the ball a little bit too much. They can kind of motivate each other and cover up their own flaws. And if they're both coming off the bench, the Nets have a really solid second unit because Ben Simmons can still defend great. Ben Simmons, say what you want about the shooting and the offense. He's still a top five to ten defender in the NBA. So you do that. You bring in Cam Thomas off the bench and you give him significant 20, 25 minutes a game. He can score you 20 points off the bench, and I feel like that works out in the Nets' favor. But to answer Giddy's question, they just need more size. They cannot win a championship with Nick Claxton being the only true big on the team. Yeah, and that's, you know, Jarrett Allen no longer being there. That really hurts you guys, too, because I, I remember him being really, really good for you guys. And I forget how he ended up in Cleveland. The Harden trade. The Harden it, trade, okay. It, 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 they traded him and Karis LeVert in the Harden trade. Oh, okay, yeah, so there you go. So And, and those were two pretty good depth pieces to have. And, uh, you know, in all fairness, I mean, when the three of them played together, they were 13-3 and three and probably would have won a championship, as you mentioned, if KD's foot size wasn't as big as it is. I feel like they would have probably won a championship even if they didn't make the Harden deal because the first few weeks of that season they were dominant just the first two games they blew out the Warriors and they blew out the Celtics to start that year and that was when they had a starting lineup of Kyrie Joe Harris Lavert, Durant Jared Allen with uh Dinwiddie and Claxton the first two off the bench that was a great seven player unit. yeah do you kind of view that as the sim- similar situation with the Lakers we were talking about before where they traded away all of their bench depth after the championship for a player like Russell Westbrook, tried to get cute and get another famous name, another superstar, and give away that depth, thinking that that would be enough to just get you there and you didn't need it. kind of seems like a similar situation where I, I, I do think, I, I agree with you, I think they could have won a championship with KD and Kyrie and get them the rest of the pieces that they would need. right? And if you traded away half of those pieces with Harden and now you got to trade him and then you got to get Ben Simmons which the Sixers were in the same spot as you are now they got to get him off the team and luckily Harden wanted out wanted Philadelphia so Brooklyn had to make a desperation move and now you now you guys are stuck with Ben Simmons but um I think you're right I think you could have won with KD Kyrie if you kept all the bench pieces I mean right now you you would have a similar I mean you'd have Kevin Durant with those pieces still Kyrie gone fine but then you would be one trade away from still contending or at least being top three in the east in terms of odds maybe to, re- to reach the finals so um it'll be interesting to see Eddie if you had to guess which players left would you expect or would you want the Nets to kind of target because um, the deadline's tomorrow at 3, correct? Yeah, tomorrow at 3. A lot of people are saying Pascal Siaka, but I don't know how the Nets are going to get him. The Raptors are not taking Ben Simmons I also back. saw uh, Ananobi was another name thrown out there, too. I'm not the biggest fan of Ananobi. He's very limited offensively, and the Nets' defense really hasn't been their problem this year. I don't really see what he necessarily adds to the table. He also has a weird contract structure um, with options and stuff, and the Nets could be tied into him for multiple years, even if he doesn't play all that well. And I don't really think he deserves being there for multiple seasons. He seems like more of a rental guy. So, But to me, the overall thing is this. NBA front offices do not value depth as much as they should. And it's crazy because over the last couple of years, the uptick of injuries, two years ago, especially during the playoffs, where it seemed like every star got hurt, teams are just, the Nets and Lakers, two prime examples, too focused on big names and not trying to build up their bench 
But when you go with older players who are proven, that's the problem. If you sacrifice the bench, you know, Kevin Durant's had his injuries. Kyrie had his problems. Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis have both missed games over the last couple of years. And because you gave up the depth to bring in Russell Westbrook and James Harden, you can't afford those losses. So that's the problem that I have seen. Uh Back here on the WRSU crew, Eddie Kalegi, Gideon Fox, Dylan Allen, Jack Basea. We are less than four days away from Super Bowl 57, the Philadelphia Eagles facing the Kansas City Chiefs. Go Birds. Uh, should be a... Nah, well, uh, I, I had to work it in. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> At least you're you're an Eagles fan. You're not just rooting for the Eagles Yeah, you know, this one time. Yes, I am a very passionate Eagles fan. I'm hoping for the best, but... In my opinion, I'm not going to be that upset if the Eagles lose because I watched them win a Super Bowl six uh, five years ago. And the Chiefs, I mean, I like the team. I like Andy Reid. I like Isaiah Pacheco, of course. So, And Kansas City is the closest thing to uh, the next NFL dynasty after the Patriots that we're going to get. And Patrick Mahomes has made five straight conference championship games as a starter and now is playing in his third Super Bowl. So I wouldn't be all that upset if the Eagles lose. I'm hoping they will they will win. But I think this is just a very difficult game to predict because these two teams have some strengths, some weaknesses and statistically had very similar regular seasons. Eddie, you're sounding way too professional for a Super Bowl talk segment. Your team's in the Super Bowl. I'd be. Super hyped up saying my team, there's no way they're losing. Your quarterback is 16-1 and one this year when playing in games. That might scare you, but... The other quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. That's what scares me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see, that's the thing. Like, If you're going to put your faith in your team all the way up until this point and then get a little worried... I, listen, it's just me personally. Like, If the Giants win the Super Bowl, I don't care how bad we are on paper. We're going to kick butt. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but this is a very interesting game. You're right because one side is like I've seen the Eagles play my Giants three times. And they kicked their butt twice, and the other time they were running a very, very vanilla offensive system with a hurt Jalen Hurts. So, um, Davis they, Webb was the difference in that game. Yeah, I, I tell you what, all those spin move throws he was making, I, I was like, <laughs> I wish Daniel Jones could do that. It'd be a little flashy, but... Um, the Eagles are very, very, a very, very good team. Um, but you're right to be worried because Patrick Mahomes is a difference maker. He can make those big time throws, and he's done it before. Jalen Hurts, give him credit, he's gotten to the Super Bowl. But the road there, not taking anything away from him, they won convincingly. But the road there was way easier than Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And that might not even be just a shot at Hurts, but maybe the rest of the team saved the defense. you got to play against Daniel Jones and a very weak offense, play against Brock Purdy, who then gets hurt, can't throw the ball physically. You play, was it Josh Johnson? Yes. Yeah, so, you know. And Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey throwing passes. And Kyle Juszczyk was the emergency quarterback mm-hmm. after that. So it became a point where the defense really had an easy couple of weeks. Um where both the the two offenses you guys faced just looked clueless. Um, both scored seven points, and that whole Kayvon Thibodeau feud on Twitter with Joe Staley was funny as hell. If you haven't seen that, just look it up. Yeah. They went back and forth. But anyway, the road for the Chiefs have been much harder, and their defense has played well against really good teams. So I'll be interested to see if the Eagles kind of come out flat-footed on defense in a way, or they give up an opening drive touchdown to the Chiefs. I wouldn't be surprised. I think this is going to be high scoring. I think the defense goes right out the window. I think, and and many people think that's what it'll be. So you might tend to think it'll be a low scoring game. 
I, I just think that both defenses, it'll come down to one drive late in the game, who can get the stop, and that's who's going to win the game. Um, I really just think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Pat Mahomes, I think the Chiefs win. Pulling for Isaiah Pacheco. And, uh, sir. Then Mahomes gets his second Super Bowl MVP, but maybe maybe Pacheco gets Pacheco, like five hey. touchdowns. <laughs> you never know. It's just so hard for the MVP to not be the winning quarterback. I know. Like it just makes so much sense if you were to like go into the game. Let's say the Chiefs win, and you would never watch a single Chiefs or Eagles game, and you the, the the Chiefs win. It's like oh, it's because of that guy under center. Like it's just so hard. Right. Even if like Pacheco has a touchdown, uh, Kelsey has a touchdown. Like it's just so hard. Which I saw betting advice for that. By the way, if say you are. Deadlock on the Chiefs to win the game outright. I think they're like plus one oh five. It's super even. It's I think the spread is like one and a half. Yeah. So if you're if you're very high on the Chiefs, the better bet, because of what you just said, Gideon, is to bet Mahomes to win Super Bowl MVP. Because like you said, I think the last fifteen Super Bowls, whatever it's been, the quarterback so, has won the MVP and it's plus one thirty. Yeah, Pat Mahomes is one thirty. Jalen Hurts one forty. Travis yeah. Kelsey. Exactly. And then after that, so if you think the Travis Eagles Kelsey win. plus twelve hundred, Isaiah Pacheco plus five thousand. Lock it in. Lock it <laughs> y'all in. Wanna, y'all want to hear what I feel about this, how I feel about this game? Boston so, uh, real quick, so if you feel the Eagles win, I, I would take Jalen Hurts MVP Super Bowl. That, that's probably the better bet. Whichever team you think is going to win, take their quarterback to win MVP. It just MVP. makes sense. You get better odds. And the last 15 years, it's showed you the quarterback always wins the, the award. Especially in what's probably going to be a shootout. I mean, yeah. the Eagles' defense is good, but it's not. It's just going to be a shootout. I mean, it, it's, I agree. it's top offense. Just think about all the weapons on all of these teams. I mean, the Chiefs have three running backs they could play. The Eagles' backfield isn't fantastic. They have, I mean, you have A.J. Brown. You have a they great got, O-line. The Eagles got three running backs, too, including Boston Scott. Yeah. I would, yeah I would, I'd rather have the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather the Chiefs' backfield. But both teams have so many weapons. Chiefs backfield's they don't have Isaiah Pacheco, though. So That's true. It's true. One team, it's true. Listen. He's listen, all listen. pro. One team has Isaiah Pacheco. The other doesn't. That's it. Story. That's the difference. I will say, though, the Eagles' offensive line has one guaranteed future Hall of Famer, potentially two others. So no, I think the, it's true. I think, I think the Eagles are going to run the ball more than people think. The They've got offense. the mobile quarterback, but the Chiefs' front seven looked good against the Bengals, but that's also because Joe Burrow had no offensive line protecting him. Right. I think the Eagles are going to use the run game more than some people might think. And Miles Sanders has looked really solid these last few weeks. And Boston Scott, not just the Giants, he scored a touchdown in the NFC Championship game too. So There you go. I I don't know. I But, of course, my concerns is Mahomes is going to be able to throw the ball around great even when he lost three receivers on one drive against the Bengals. He was still making plays. They, they have Travis Kelsey, who is a top three all-time tight end. Um, they have Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. Uh, so Well, listen, Eddie. The one thing I'll say, and this is the one thing your defense is probably the best at in the league, you, we've already seen Mahomes lose the Super Bowl. And what was the reason? Because the Buccaneers got after him, and he, he was running out of the pocket, running for his life every single time. They were only able to score nine points. You guys lead the league in sacks, and I think you're fourth all-time now, and you have four guys that have double-digit sacks. So if you can get to Mahomes, that's how you win the game. That's the difference. And I have faith that Hassan Reddick will get a sack. I have faith that Fletcher Cox will get a couple of QB hits. Like, that's the way you win the game in the trenches on both ends. And I think you're right with the running game for the Eagles. Take the game out of Jalen Hurts' hand. Let, ease him into the game. It's, it's the biggest game of his, of his career. And although he's been playing up to MVP numbers, 
you know, Patrick Mahomes, like you said, has been to five straight conference championship games. He's been here. This is third Super Bowl. This is new territory for Jalen Hurts. Ease him into the game. Let the Eagles pick up a couple first downs on the ground. Give him some easy throws. I think that's how you ease him into the game and rely on your defense to win. Get pressure on Mahomes because that's it's been proven. That's the way. You, that's how you beat Mahomes. If you can get after him and make him run out of the pocket, especially on that bad leg. Yes. I mean, that's that's big. If you can exploit that, that is how you pressure him. The thing is, two years ago, the Chiefs were also down two offensive linemen. They were missing both of their guards for that game. So, I feel like. I thought it was both their tackles. Both their tackles, you're right. Right, but but the difference is this Eagles defensive front is an historic defensive front. Like, the Buccaneers' defense was good, but mm-hmm. they were not 70-plus sacks good and four guys in double figures. So I think that kind of, like, evens it up a little bit. You have an all-time sacks unit compared to, you know, the Bucks going up against the depleted offensive line. To me, the most important player in this game is not Mahomes or Jalen Hurts. It's Hassan Redick. There you because go. If the Chiefs' O line can neutralize him in some way, that's going to be huge for Kansas City. But we've seen Reddick be able to slip through against a good 49ers offensive line. He's a hard hitter. I mean, he tore Brock Purdy's UCL on a throw. So, like, you know, it's going to be that's going to be someone you're really going to have to pay attention to. But it's I agree with you. It's going to be a high scoring game. Both offenses are going to get rolling. But I feel like the Eagles are going to use their ground game a bit more than people might expect. Um, I'm going to be curious to see how the Eagles' pass defense does because they have had some difficulties at times. They've been able to intercept a lot of passes this year, especially the first half of the year. But in the second half of the season, they struggled a bit. And they also have not been tested that much in a while, the corners and the, the entire secondary, because the Niners weren't able to throw the ball that much at all in that game. Daniel Jones did not throw the ball that much in the Giants game. Last game of the season, it was Davis Webb. So, seriously, you have to go back to really the Cowboys game on Christmas Eve, the last time the Eagles' secondary was really tested. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. The Eagles lost that game, but guess who's in the Super Bowl? So wait, We'll take oh. our W's where we get them. <laughs> we will as we well. Will take, we, will take our, we'll, we will take our Eagles' win and our div- annual divisional round loss every single season. Listen, Jack, you made it as far as the Giants this year. Yeah. There you go. No, First time no, I can say you that guys forever. made it as far as us because we we always go out in divisional round. So. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There you go. I just realized I have not been on crew with you, Jack, this semester. So why was Ezekiel Elliott lined up under center on the last play of the game? <laughs> what happened? Um, well... Um, first, it starts with the new offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Chargers, who I'm very happy is that, uh, Kellen Moore. So I think, you, I think you have to ask him about that. And now but. Mike McCarthy's going to be calling plays. Or Schottenheimer, one of them. I think McCarthy's calling plays. <laughs> McCarthy's calling plays. <laughs> Which I'm not a huge – like, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. Anyway, so let's get back to the Super Bowl. Score predictions. Eddie, you're the only fan in here with a dog in the fight. I mean, technically, we all want the Chiefs because – um, you know, the NFC East rivals. But what is your score prediction? We all pretty much agree, at least the three. I don't know, Jack, give, if you think it's her, high let's scoring. Let's give our score predictions to end out the crew. Yeah, well, let, Eddie, yeah, you can go this. last. You're the Eagles fan here. So I want to go 27-23 Chiefs. I think it's 23-20 Eagles late in the game. I think Pat Mahomes leads them down for a game-winning touchdown drive. Um, and I think the Chiefs win by four. So that's my score, 27-23. Um, I think this is going to be this is gonna be a good game. I, I really do. I think... As much as I hate them, they're a good team. I'm not going to go by say their name, but they're a good team. 
Um, the Chiefs, they're also a really good team. Two best teams in football this year. Um, you know, I think it's gonna, I think it's going to come down to like who's going to make throws at the quarterback position. Is Patrick Mahomes going to be able to do what he does? Who's going to be able to oppose their will? Are the Chiefs going to be able to dictate pace with the way they like to play? Or are the Eagles going to be able to run the ball down the Chiefs' throat like they want to do? So, um, at the end of the day, it's it's honestly a pick 'em game because both of them have been so good over the year so far. And I know I think the Eagles got pretty fortunate in their run to the Super Bowl and who they played, but that doesn't distract the fact that they're still a really good team. Um, I could easily see the Eagles winning this game, but unfortunately they're not Eddie. They're not going to win this game. I'm picking 31 to 27, Chiefs. You ready? You ready? I still can't believe this is real. It's a good song. 31-27, right, you said? 31-27. Okay, there you go. It's a good song. I'm, I Listen, I got like 18 Patrick Mahomes jerseys on the way. They were, ordered, <laughs> they were ordered the minute the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I have a Chiefs flag coming in. I personally bought out Arrowhead Stadium, so every... Every NFC East fan Burrow can go and watch it. Is Chiefs, in the, is Chiefs Kingdom in the bio like Arnoff, or is it uh, out of the bio? Um, you want me to put it in the bio? It's currently <laughs> out of the bio. <laughs> the bio I can put, for it Sunday. Bio. put it in the bio for Sunday. All right, okay. All right we got 40 seconds, Giddy. 34-30, Chiefs. All right. Okay. Sound to me. So my question is this. Will the Eagles win the Super Bowl? Yes! 34-31. Wow. Disrespecting McCoy the Giants fan. 34- Don't McCoy. I hope you're listening to that. 34-31. It will come down to a final drive. It'll be a big third down. Jalen Hurts will find Devontae Smith. He will convert a big third down and set up Jake Elliott for the game-winning field goal. Elliott, one of the returners from the last Super Bowl, will convert, and the Birds will win their second Super Bowl in five years. I've written all the score predictions down so next week we can reevaluate, but I'm surprised no one went with the, the leaked Welcome. The script score. That I know. Was I on saw Wikipedia. it. 37-34. <laughs> I saw it. Well, now they have to change it because it's already okay. public. I know it's 8, I know it's eight o'clock. The Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. ASAP Rocky and Rihanna are going to be engaged by the end of the night. And everyone's going to be singing Red Kingdom from C to Signing C. Everyone have a good night. All of that except for Fly Eagles Fly. Uh, that-